passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind the Dynamite. John Pollock, waiting Wednesday night. What could go wrong? How are you, Way? Oh, don't say that. Oh, man. <laughs> no, that's word. tomorrow. That's tomorrow. That's the hangout. Oh, okay, okay. All right. Um, yes, everybody, we, uh, we are back. We are here to chat about AEW Dynamite, which uh, was a taped show tonight, but will be live next week, as they promoted on this show, with several returns scheduled for next week. They announced... Matt Hardy's back, MJF is back, uh, Kenny Omega, who hasn't been on for a number of weeks, so it looks like... One um, week. When was the last time we saw Kenny Omega? Was he, he on he last was week? on last week, yeah. Okay, then not as much. These uh, tape shows somewhat do blend together, but um, nonetheless, Matt, Matt Hardy has not been there in a while. No, he has not, yeah. Not in a live setting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and is this... So there, there are going to be several live shows, or... Oh, wait, they're taping... The following week as well. Yeah, that's. It sounds like they're going to tape. They're going to do the live show and tape the following weeks, and then come back um, the following week after that, which would be the go home show for Double or Nothing. So next week would be May sixth, and they would also tape May thirteenth. Come back on May twentieth, and then like we still don't know where the location is yet for Double or Nothing. You would assume Florida would make the most sense that it would be. Let's just do all of this in the same location. You would think so, yeah. I mean, it seems like you know one of the main strategies is to uh, you know group as as few trips as needed for for the talent. And if everybody's going to be there for Dynamite on on the twentieth, um, you would think it would probably be one of those familiar places. It just wouldn't make sense that everything is happening out of Florida, and then all of a sudden you have this idea for a match, and you fly everyone to your headquarters in Stanford. Like that just seems like why why do something so drastic. Maybe they have an island. Yeah, we haven't heard about Wrestle Island yet, which I would imagine Vince McMahon at this time. I maybe hey they, you know, you you you've cut all these people, but maybe we can lease an island with Dana White. Um, let's hope it doesn't get to that point. Let let us hope not. Let's let's dive into some of the news items uh, that have occurred uh, today and uh, over the last few days uh, off the top, this report came out Monday night from uh, Dave Meltzer that one of the releases Kane Velasquez. And uh, this has been re- reported by Dave. Uh, Kane Velasquez has not uh, made any public comment about this. Is this a surprising name given uh, 
you know, the certainly both AEW and WWE were seeking Cain Velasquez last fall and coming into a very uninspired debut and has been relatively uh, dormant since that Crown Jewel event with Brock Lesnar. Uh, we know, like, obviously he got a great deal to come to WWE because there was demand for him. But uh, are you surprised his name gets thrown in here? I think for me, if there's any element of surprise here, it's it's the surprise that Cain Velasquez has a WWE contract because I've completely forgotten about this guy. And I think the knowledge that he was still earning some sort of paycheck, um, I... I definitely feel like that is a it, it, somebody you probably should have cut before some of these other talents that I think you know got cut before him. What do you think is next for Kane Velasquez? Do you think that he sticks around? Uh, obviously, this guy was a massive pro wrestling fan. He seemed very happy doing this. Uh, but is is pro wrestling something you you foresee him continuing? Given that. Um, you know, just the, the landscape of what it is and that this guy is accustomed to making a lot of money in his in his athletic career. I'm, I think going back to Mexico, whether it be with AAA or, you know, some other company, I, I think is always going to be an option. Obviously, you know, not at that same amount of money. I feel like WWE in the future could still be an option, but just given this current time uh, and I think the amount of, you know, pr- the amount of time that you would need to get Cain Velasquez up to a standard that I think they would be happy with. And I'm not really just talking about doing a few Hurricane Ranas, but to be able to be a personality that I think is expected of a, you know, that WWE expects of him um, on, on this level. Um, it just might be too long of a wait for them to want to, you know, um, uh, sit through right now, but it, it it's still something that I think he can prove himself to, to, you know, be able to improve at in the future. Yeah, if it, if this is the end of his road with with WWE in terms of their their long term interest, like they kind of just looked at this as a project that we are not going to go further with. If you're Kane Velasquez, this will test kind of where you want to go because here you had signed a very lucrative contract, and now you're facing the prospect of continuing in this industry where I would say you're. Your worth on paper has been diminished over this last six-month period with WWE. If I'm AEW, I don't have the same interest in Cain Velasquez that I did six months ago. And going to AAA or anywhere else that is not uh, an AEW, like, I don't think any company is going to be able to offer this guy, you know, what he was in his mind going to be making for years to come with WWE. Yeah. So that's that's a difficult mental hurdle sometimes when you're... Still going to be having to put in just as much work, just as much effort, but it's it's not the deal that you had mentally uh, expected to be uh, receiving over with, with this big contract with WWE. So his next step will be interesting, and if if MMA is even in the equation, because he did take himself out of the USADA testing pool, so like he was completely on the pro wrestling side of things of where his career was heading. So. Um, that's that's interesting to watch. Whatever his next move is, do, do you know what his UFC deal currently is? How many? I mean, it was. He, has or, he did have fights left on the deal because he had just signed a new contract, um, and he did the one fight against Francis Ngannou last February. And like my understanding would be, it was it would just be kind of like 
the the contract was frozen so he could like i i don't believe he would have the authority to just sign with another company i think he would still have much like when a fighter retires that doesn't um that doesn't uh, void your contract for instance so he did have i i want to say maybe two or three fights something in that range that was on uh his latest deal but i don't know the exact figure hmm. okay we should also um, – a clarification that did come out. Uh, we had mentioned this on Monday. Gerald Briscoe uh, has not been cut by WWE. Rather, he was one of the many that was furloughed. So uh, there is a difference there in that in that distinction. I do look, though, at his specific job description that, you know, as a scout um, going on the road, I don't know what you're going to be scouting for the rest of 2020. That when you look at um, positions that you would be – retaining guys and, and bringing them back. Um, I don't know how in demand that that role is going to be in the company, but certainly someone with an enormous amount of tenure with WWE. But when it comes to these decisions, I, I don't know how much tenure really plays a factor when WWE gets down to making these decisions. Yeah, we shall find out, you know, um, I, don't, I, I don't see them bringing everybody back. So we shall see. WWE raw viewership from Monday night. Uh, way we discussed this on Monday, you thought they might stay above their 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 low number from the week prior. They did fall. So this week, the the new low uh, for their modern history, one million eight hundred and seventeen thousand viewers. This has still not hit the elusive Christmas Eve two thousand eighteen tape show that was one million seven seventy five. So um, they they still have that rock bottom figure to hit, but. What they did do on Monday was a horrendous third hour, 1,619,000 viewers for that third hour. To put that one into context, everybody, that would be the lowest hour of Raw in modern history, the lowest third hour ever since Raw has been a three-hour program since 2012, and that hour was lower than all three hours on that taped episode on Christmas Eve, so... That that takes something to be able to uh, get to that uh, low level. Now, I'm not just going to discuss the the rating, but for you, Way, if you are in charge of Raw, what is your reaction? Are you are you actively doing things to try and reverse this trend? Are you looking at this that ratings really matter little at this moment? So why not put in a lot of new talent and try and get them that television experience. What What is your action or reaction to this number, if anything? I think it's certainly a bit of, you know, taking these, these results with a grain of salt and not panicking too much. Certainly, I think right now they are very much handicapped by who's available to use. Um, and if they have the star power available to them for the next several weeks, I can see them shuffling things around so that, you know, the third hour is a bit more attractive. Um, this week, you know, I mean, these all of these episodes have been very heavy on promoting new stars um, and, you know, a lot of squash matches simply, I would say, due to the availability of the people that are there. So, um, I, I mean, the next couple of weeks are really going to be similar. You know, who do you have available uh, and and how do you play with that that roster to maximize the pot- the value you have for for these ratings? I, I, I really do feel like it's a case of, you know. How much can they really do at the moment? Yeah, it is. And, you know, historically, this is a company that has been very impatient when it comes to 
getting new talent over because they're at the mercy of their television viewership. And whether that is uh, pressure from a network or pressure from internally uh, that, you know, we've seen so many cases that they'll give up on somebody and, you know, you cite television ratings. Well, now we're in a period where if you believe television ratings mean nothing or at least are not being as focused upon as they would in regular times, then, I mean, we're seeing a lot of new acts specifically on Raw and they don't have that same panic of we've got to get the numbers up because they are what they are. And I don't think that you're just going to change course and these numbers are going to suddenly rebound overnight. So if you accept that these numbers are where they're at, then what's more valuable now? Is it getting these these newer acts out there and getting some experience, knowing that with this smaller audience, it's I don't even know if you can make stars in this current environment, but they're at least trying that and not not hitting the panic button of just giving up on all these young performers that they're putting out on Raw. So I, I don't know what the right answer is, but this is one era of Raw that I would say emphasis on numbers should be very, very low. You know, you and I like wondered if they would air WrestleMania on these episodes of, of TV and they haven't done that. And in fact, they haven't really aired any sort of prior footage. Uh, or at least not in full. They've aired things in highlight form. So um, I, I guess I do wonder if they did get to a point where they wanted to try something new again, would they resort to airing, for instance, WrestleMania or after Money, Money in the Bank, a week or two airing matches from that pay-per-view. Would that make any difference? Well, the only the only success they had in the taped format was that first week where they aired the men's Royal Rumble. And that week did very well. And uh, we'll talk about this a bit more on Thursday about how the viewership has has trended for all the programs. But for all of them, it seems like the audience had a patience level for about one week for what the empty arena um, shows would look like. And then in ensuing weeks, we saw the drop off. I, I would not be resistant if they wanted to. Uh, put some taped content in there. I think it would break up the shows, in particular Raw, a lot. Uh, than three hours of matches that we're currently uh, witnessing every week. Uh, but you're right; they have not they have not gone to that with, with WrestleMania. And I, I thought that at this point they would at least uh, throw in something. Um, but they seem to be dead set on just doing three hours of new content each week. I think. They, at least in some ways, will probably look at, you know, the the fact that they even have three hours of new programming. I mean, five, six hours, wait, uh, five, seven, seven hours, seven hours of fresh TV programming each week as, as a real accomplishment. And they really should, because to produce TV in sort of this environment is, I'm sure, not a very easy task. Um, so that in itself, I think, is their main concern. If you're talking about the point now where... You know, now that we have a schedule, now that we can run shows every two weeks, um, now that we can run tapings every two weeks, how do we make sure that these shows are the best that they can be? Um, I think starting next week, you can certainly ser seriously ask some of those questions. Uh, some other ratings notes. Dark Side of the Ring uh, did a their second highest number in their history on Tuesday night for the Dr. D. David Schultz episode. Uh, they were up 15%. It did 255,000 viewers, uh, 0.11 in the demo. And 
I, I think at this point, Wade, like with Dark Side of the Ring, I think it's just really established itself among wrestling fans, both casual and hardcore. And I think it's – I still think the subject matter is is a factor, but – Watching like how well Dino Bravo did last week and Dr. D this week, I think it's really just a case that this franchise has really resonated with people and it's it's more so just people are tuning in out of habit now and I, I don't know if the subject matter is necessarily directing them or not. I think it'll make a difference. You know, next week is uh which uh Herb which, Abrams and UWF, which yes. I I wonder, I think that one will be a really interesting barometer because it's not like a WWF-centric story, um, maybe a bit more obscure. What What is the interest level for something like that? Um, well, I, they got the title down right. Ca- cocaine and Cowboy Boots, the Herb Abrams story. Yeah, okay. Well, um, I, I, I think it's, you know, it's it's also how how many people will even get advice, you know? Uh, and how many people are watching this online? Oh, it's it. I mean, two hundred fifty-five thousand viewers is the live viewership. But I think online, like I go on, and it's like these episodes are up. Like people are just uploading this in full on YouTube. I think if you were to look at all the different accounts running this, and I don't know how much Vice is actively trying to take those uh, those streams down, but I'm sure this is being seen by a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. Just, to, I mean, granted, like my timeline is going to be heavily, heavily skewed towards uh, wrestling fans. But um, no, this this series has been just an absolute um, blessing for Vice TV. Like they are now talking about other spinoff, like Dark Side being like a franchise that they can do like a documentary series on non-wrestling topics. Like this to me is going to be the big shining success of Vice TV is greenlighting this series. Well, the quality of this season has been excellent. Um, and you know it 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 continues to be sort of a springboard to talk about these eh, pretty like you know old old topics um you know on, on podcasts and message boards and things like that each week so it it definitely has become a part of uh especially in this time like some of the most exciting new content that's out there that people can talk about yeah i just think among wrestling fans now um it's it's almost like got the the appeal Somewhat to like a 30 for 30 where in the early Last days, dance. I'm sh- um, yeah, yeah, very much that, you know, the 30 for 30 series I use because in the early days, people are probably looking at, well, what's the topic? But over time, people see that that branding 30 for 30 and they're watching it regardless of what the story is. It's like they're they they know what the quality level is. And I think we're seeing that with Dark Side of the Ring that people are now just tuning in based off positive word of mouth and like the subject matter, like I would have looked Dr. D. David Schultz being the second highest in their history. Uh, I would not have predicted that at the beginning of this season. And I think you're just seeing that audience grow. And I think Herb Abrams will probably follow that trend next week because you're right outside of hardcore wrestling fans. I don't know who would know that name or, or know too much about Herb Abrams, but I have no doubt next week when we're talking about this, we'll be talking about a pretty, you know, sizable number that that episode draws. Yeah. Uh, FS1 on uh, Tuesday night. So we had four hours of best of WrestleMania matches broken down by performer. So John Cena at 7 o'clock did 124,000. 
Triple H at eight did two hundred twenty thousand. Then The Undertaker two hundred seventy thousand, and then Shawn Michaels two hundred seventeen thousand viewers. So I guess The Undertaker is the official Mister WrestleMania based on his FS1 cable viewership on Tuesday night. I think so. You know, I think when you think of WrestleMania catalogs, um, yeah, Shawn always kind of has the moniker of Wrestle Mister WrestleMania. But I feel like if I were to watch these matches back to back, I mean. It, it it is very much the taker show that I think sounds the most appealing to me on paper. And uh really it's the time slots as well. But you know, how much how much weight do you put into any of that? Yeah, right. Like I, I would imagine like seven PM doesn't sound like uh, like that's it was so much lower. Like this was uh, uh you know, almost half of some of these for the uh the John Cena one, but the rest are all kind of in that in that different range. What's interesting is that continually each week, uh, backstage is not even finishing among the top one hundred and fifty cable programs. Are are you surprised that all these these best of tapes are doing so much better than backstage is as the the, the panel discussion or if you were tuning in, like you're more interested in old wrestling matches than you are on a WWE panel show. Well, I think about myself and, you know, if this was a different sport that I wasn't a weekly viewer of, let's say baseball or basketball, would I be interested in, say, you know, a highlight of like the Jays 92, 93 season? Or would I be more interested in that night's, you know, uh, sports center? And I, if, if I was a Laps fan, I think it would certainly be the highlights of, of, you know, some of these classic moments. So in that sense, it doesn't really surprise me. Just because it's fresh content doesn't mean it has any sort of leg up, especially when you, you know, compare the star power or like the grandiose, grandiose kind of visual of a WrestleMania to, uh, are they still doing the backstage via like Zoom? Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're not in a studio. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I guess I'm not even so sure that it's a, it's, it's a fair expectation to, you know, think that that should be able to compete. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, and then just a few more notes here. Uh, Madison Square Garden, not surprisingly, uh, when the WWE was supposed to run there in March, they postponed it until June. So that June show has now been postponed again. They're not obviously listing a new date for it at this time. Uh, but they have not made an announcement yet regarding the New Japan show in August. What is – is there a 0% chance of that New Japan show happening in August? Because that's what I believe there is a chance of that show happening. I think it's for me. I think it's close to to zero. I mean, if we're talking about um, even if things were to level off um, as businesses come back, um, I I believe large gatherings will be very low on the list of priorities and very low on the list of things that will eventually come back. I feel like August is like very optimistic, and if hey hey guess yeah sorry guess which which state uh, would you guess is uh, their governor said that come June or July, maybe there's a chance that we could uh, allow fans to go to sporting events. Just guess a state. Okay, Florida. Why did you guess Florida immediately? Well, You're correct. If I, I could Ron rank DeSantis it, tonight. I yep. could certainly rank it. It would either be Florida, Georgia, uh, Nevada. So maybe in that there, order. There's... Yeah, Ron DeSantis said that uh, we want we want to maintain a good relationship with WWE. We want to get WrestleMania. So I mean, he's being very transparent about what all this is about. Um, said we were able to get the UFC to come here. They're doing a golf match with Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods. And said, you know, um, the way if 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 the trends look good, 
come June or July, uh, we're not going to be packing people in there, but the idea of some people coming in and you're 10 feet apart at a baseball game, eh, maybe, maybe, June or July. So, okay, let's say even <laughs> June or July. That June occurs. or July, everyone, which is li- like in five weeks. Like, yes. And, and, this guy's and, out of his and mind. let's say for some like we're talking New York City as well, which is, I think, a very different scenario. But let's yes. say New York even opens up. How many people do you think would be willing to take the risk of buying a ticket this far in advance or even in June or even in July for a trip to New York City? Well, that's the that's the other element of all of this is that it, even when the idea of reopening arenas for events is happening, like if you were a, a – if you're a wrestling promotion, if you're – if you're a concert promoter, okay, and you want to take a major band on tour, and are you going to go and book 50 arenas and go with the hope that fans are going to want to buy tickets and you're going to you're going to book all these venues? Like you have to make that decision ahead of time, not knowing what the what the response level is going to be and I'm with you. I think people are going to be extra cautious. I be I there's no way I'm going to any kind of event regardless of uh, Toronto being open in three months or not. To me, it's – I have no interest in doing that now, and I doubt I'm going to be alone. There will be some that will be, but I – like, for instance, that New Japan show, I don't think there would be a prayer that that thing would do well at all. There would not be – I think travel is going to be almost non-existent. Uh, the idea of a company coming over from Japan just sounds completely ridiculous for August. Um that I think it's just a matter of time before that show ends up canceled. And again, we're talking about New York City, which is the epicenter of this shit going on right now in North America. Um, so I August, I think, will, will be, uh, uh, to me, nearly impossible. But uh, we shall see. Yeah, nothing officially announced. Um, also on, on NXT tonight, I know a lot of people were, were curious uh, what, what would be happening. But they are promoting for next week Adam Cole and Velveteen Dream for the NXT title. So that was set up. But the big news way, the last news item is that Thursday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, Stardom has announced Hana's Kitchen (laughs) with Hana Kimura. Oh, geez. So I just wonder if uh, we will get any – if Wei will be waking up at 6 a.m. to have breakfast with Hana Kimura. Well, you know, it largely depends if there are subtitles attached to this channel. Um, and also depends, uh, what type of, you know, whether anybody has, uh, uh, washed her outfit in the laundry without her knowing, cause, uh, that would greatly determine, I think her mood and, um, maybe the quality of these videos. You know, I will say John, because ever since they ended, um, Terrace house due to coronavirus, I, I kind of feel bad because like she left that show on a pretty bad note and, um, you know, online reaction has not been very favorable to her. In fact, I would classify her as uh, among the top two heels of the season at the end. So, um, yeah, maybe that's something she could she can use. Um, I mean, she is a heel in, in wrestling, but I, I don't even know how much crossover there might be between Stardom fans and Terrace House fans. I know of one. I know what that Venn diagram looks like <laughs> at, at the very least. Um, but yes, what's most interesting is that it will be dinner time in Japan, but breakfast time here on the Eastern time zone. So I, I wonder, like, I imagine she's going to be cooking dinner for everybody. But, um, hmm. well, that, that to me is one question to ask. 
Um, check it out. Sure. Head to head action at, 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 uh, six in the morning. You've got, uh, all Japan starting just before that and Hana's kitchen. Which will you choose? Um, I won't be watching either at five 30 in the morning. I will guarantee you that, but, um, I am going to watch that all Japan show. Yes. They're doing an empty arena show Thursday morning. Uh, so WH and I are going to chat about that, uh, this weekend, but what we are talking about now is AEW dynamite from, uh, QT Marshall's gym, uh, which looks like we'll be, um, on, on standby for, for a while. We may, we may not be venturing here to Norcross, uh, too often after this week. Started off with a video involving Darby Allen and Cody previewing their match tonight. Darby noted that he entered Fighter Fest as a ghost that no one knew, and he went the time limit draw with Cody. They cut to Cody, who said that he lost enough times early in his career, he never wants to lose again, and he considers a time limit draw a loss. Darby says in the rematch, he lost to Arn Anderson for the instructions he gave Cody to get the knees up for the coffin drop. And that Cody is all about suits and ties, the opposite of him. He represents relentless. And he asks who you want as champion, a corporate sheep or me? And Cody says that Darby's a big part of AEW's future. He won't be champion. I thought a, a good start here, just setting up the uh, the dynamic between the two. And I, I thought a really good performance in particular from Darby here. Yeah, nice little video here. You know, got into their history and I think uh, more, more importantly, got into both of their motivations to win this championship ultimately. And uh, very important that Cody continues to bring up that him being unable to challenge for the AEW title, though he is ranked number one, um, that to me is a huge, huge item um, for this whole mm-hmm. thing. So uh, good to remind people of that. I, I I thought Darby sounded really interesting too, you know, with his, with his promo. Um, reminded me, I mean, after last week when we had... Cody as Bruce Wayne in his Batcave with the surveillance monitor. I felt like this week we had Darby talking like Batman. A little bit. Yeah. I, I think between this and, and the Road 2 video they put out this week, I just think Darby is just such a captivating character. I mean, it's not just this week. I mean, that's been something with him. I, I think they have something really special in Darby Allen, potentially. Completely. Absolutely. Tony Schiavone and Chris Jericho previewed the show, and we start things off with Cody and Darby Allen. Brandy comes out with Cody, and we cut to Sean Spears, who's behind the barricade as one of the fans looking pissed. And Jericho, as the match starts, talks about Cody's uh, amateur wrestling days, including beating Austin Watson in high school, a.k.a. Xavier Woods. Austin Watson. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. And he added, if you know, you know. Cody, the big spot early on is that he's on the floor. Darby runs at him and Cody sidesteps, knocking Darby into Brandy, who gets taken out. And Jericho is livid, saying he did it on purpose. Brandy's taken backstage. And Jericho says that that Cody is dealing with a broken knee and now he has a broken wife. It was really interesting the way they did this. By the way, before that, there was the injury spot where... Uh, Cody was attempting to bridge out of a pin, and in doing so, aggravated his knee, which Darby immediately targets. Um, I thought that was really interesting in itself, because, you know, this was an injury spot that had no major impact attached to it. Typically, you know, a guy, like, lands his foot wrong off of a moonsault or gets his knee run into the, the steel steps or something like that. 
This was just a guy attempting to exert force out of a very awkward position and fucking up his knee. How often have we seen like quad tears occur as a result of like a simple planting of the foot? You know, there's certainly more than one way of getting injured in real life. And I was really happy to see Cody here basically open up like a whole new world of like body part storytelling with something so simple. But um, with the Brandy thing too, following after that, I thought it was really interesting because Jericho immediately called attention to like, you know, doing the heel thing saying, oh, Cody knew his wife was there. He shoved his, he shoved this guy right into his wife. But when you see the replay, I don't know if it he was. He did. Yeah. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but like, it definitely looked like he kind of shoved, you know, um, like it did, it did not look completely innocent. And the way Cody was reacting to it, almost like pausing before checking in on his wife. I wonder if there was anything more to that or if it was just, you know, something that, that was supposed to be completely uh, as it appeared on the surface, but it definitely like made me suspicious. Uh, Jericho is noting Alan has no fear. He says that he's seen his skateboarding videos. Uh, Cody busted out a bow and arrow and then Alan starts going after the left knee. Uh, He applies a knee bar. Jericho says he has a knack for this, which led into him singing my Sharona. Uh, Cody is in the tree of woe and gets hit with the, the running hip attack. And it's just all the focus is on the knees. I thought Jericho was very good drilling this home of the attack by Darby Allen and being very methodical and technical. Cody goes to the floor and Britt Baker just wallops him with her shoe, uh, which this is the second time she has done this after the tag match a few weeks ago. I don't know, like, you know, I feel like this was probably just something she just thought of in the moment, improvised, because it seemingly has nothing to do with the character. It's really nothing to do with her in-ring at all. Um, But it's... But it's it's twice she's done it to Cody. Oh, well, I mean, it's incredibly entertaining, is all. So, I I mean, what I just mean is I don't know if this was any sort of, like, premeditated thing, but, like, something, or just something she stumbled onto. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a funny spot. It really played no um, role into the the match. It was just kind of um, its own thing here. It tells you how quick she is, and I think her ability to be able to draw attention to herself, like in any any bit of airtime. Britt Baker is among my favorite people on any show right now. Um, Jericho spots Pineapple Pete and just updates us that he hates that guy. Cody is fighting back. He's favoring the knee and hits the disaster kick. Which Jericho identifies, and I swear Tony has never heard this term before because he just notes, I really like that disaster kick. I doubt he was watching WWE in like 2011, 2012. But he's used this in AEW. Like this is the guy who's like calling his matches. I was like, you've has he never heard disaster kick in, in these last six months? He knows the code red at least, you know, that's... He knows that code red. Yes, yeah. he definitely has that down. That impressed um, me. Uh, I, I really like this this one spot where uh, Cody is like – he almost like lures in Darby like his knee is giving out and then he catches him with the small package and Darby kicks out. It was just like a cool little uh, uh, fake out by uh, Cody and the crossroads then gets uh, hit by Darby and Cody has to kick out of his own finish and then Darby applies the figure four, another maneuver of Cody's. Brandy struggles, walking back ringside, and she's got a water bottle. Cody takes a sip of water, and Darby nails him with the water bottle, and leaps off the middle rope, gets stopped by Cody, and hits him with the clothesline, and suddenly we got uh, Kodakiko Okada. No, that uh, Oh, oh God. 
there, there's a good one there. Uh, Okodaka? No, definitely not. I I tried. I really tried. <laughs> so he holds on to the wrist. He tries for a Rainmaker, and it's blo- it's countered, and Darby hits the, the spin over into the stunner, and then Cody is the one that comes up, hitting crossroads. Darby kicks out. So then Cody... While selling the knee, climbs to the top, and the announcers think he's going for a moonsault. And I'm just ready to pan this. I was like, what a stupid move to go for after you've been selling this knee. Jericho is saying how this this has affected the career of, of Keiji Muto and Kenta Kobashi. And uh, mentions like how Kobashi's knees were destroyed. But instead of the moonsault, he crosses his arms and he goes for his own coffin drop. And he lands on Darby's knees. Darby gets up. And he goes for a coffin drop, but Cody is able to adjust himself so that when Darby comes down, he pretty much just bridges and gets the cover on Darby Allen for the victory. So even without Arn, he was able to win. Yes, it was because that was the story was that Darby would not give Cody the credit for the win. Uh, and this one, he didn't have Arn out there. Uh and he barely had Brandy out there after. He got his water, though. His water was the big difference maker here. Yeah. Um, that was interesting. Which, I didn't understand all- any of that. I mean, I think the idea might be to show some sort of dissent between the two. First, you had Cody, you know, essentially uh, unintentional, unintentionally, you know, cause Brandy some harm. And then you had Brandy here bring out this water unintentionally, ultimately resulting in harm to, to Cody. Because his opponent ended up using this water on him. So it wasn't really overt. And I, I, I wonder if that was intentional to maybe do a slow build towards something like that. It's my only explanation. It's it's certainly a bit intriguing. Um, I, I like the match a lot. You know, I, I think the continued story of Darby being unable to beat Cody. Um, like Darby clearly, you know, was able to learn a lot. He's, he, you know, he scouted his own coffin drop and basically used the same counter that Cody used on him in the last match. Uh, but but Kick, kicked out of crossroads. Kicked out of crossroads. But Cody was always one step, you know, be, be, uh, ahead of, of Darby. And I think the moment that Darby Allen finally beats Cody way into the future, that should really be treated as a huge, huge moment. So I like this. And, and, we'll, and I think will definitely happen. Like this finish oh, yeah. to me told me like that is the long-term plan where it'll mean a lot. Um, and yeah, I, I, I kind of wish they didn't give Sean Spears that, that crossroads kick out. Um, or sorry, was he? Did he kick out of it, or did he just take the two? I'm forgetting now. I think Maybe. everybody kicks out of the crossroads these days. I, I mean, I, I we saw uh, what is it? Uh, Lance Archer kick out of it in the main event. Um, Spears probably did it last week. That was one thing tonight. That clearly these semifinals were to air on separate weeks because mm-hmm. it, it was a major. Like Brandy comes back later, uh, dressed differently, no selling of this at all. Like clearly these were meant for different weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed that too. But um, I like the match a lot. There were some really interesting and clever spots, you know, from the way Cody got injured just by like it, like trying to bridge out to the the coffin drop being used because he had that injured knee. Uh, really good back and forth. Really smart match. And Jericho is complaining about the water, comparing Cody to Ben Johnson. So we got Jericho accusing uh, Brandy of spiking the water with stenozolol for Cody. <laughs> you remember the name of that? That was what Ben Johnson tested for. Amazing. It's the yeah. nozzle. 
I wonder if Ben Johnson is still like a like do do non Canadians does that name instantly remind people of uh, the, uh I would say of an older generation. Yeah, Maybe. that's what I'm saying. I'm thinking too. Like that's I think for Canadians that name is uh, synonymous. Um, but uh, nonetheless, well, who's the modern equivalent of someone who got busted for drugs? Yeah. Um, oh, uh, what's it? Lance pick, Armstrong. I mean. Pick, pick your uh, Lance Armstrong would probably be the top one. I was going to go with it. You know, you could take, you know, from the, uh, the steroid scandal in, in major league baseball. Uh, but Lance Armstrong, I think would probably be this generation's um, poster boy for that. Uh, we got the second part of Scorpio Sky's feature talking about his relationship with Daniels and Kazarian that when he joined them, he looked up to them and did not. He had a lot of pressure because he didn't want to be like the third wheel of the group. And he talked about really finding himself and breaking out through the worst town ever gimmick on being the elite and talked about challenging Jericho for the AEW title and that a lot of people in this locker room are just happy to be here. Not me. I want to be a fucking legend. A fucking legend, not just the legend. Just didn't this this last line? It was uh, it's kind of like the um, the tone we got uh with John Stossel right up until the end, where he's like, "What's my message for David Schultz? <laughs> Fuck you, David Schultz." I was like, "Where the hell did that come from?" <laughs> well, um, yeah, uh, you know this it was it was good. This was really good. I I wish it was longer. You know, it felt like he was trying, like he had, felt like he had great like starting sentences for all the little chapters that this this whole thing was supposed to be but then we would just move on to, to the next topic like i wanted him to hear to, to talk a bit more about you know developing the worst town everything i wanted to hear him talk a bit more about the jericho thing but um i guess we only had so much time i was waiting for them to cut back to shivani and, and seamus is standing there seething at this video <laughs> package <laughs> mjf sent in a tape promo he said that he knows that a lot of his fans probably feel like they are in an Uber with a foreign driver who is not using a GPS. Lost. He says he has rehabbed his injury, his hangnail, uh, because he saw the best nail doctor in the world and they were in awe of his recovery. He was on death's door, but now he has the strongest nail in the world. He overhealed it. He overhealed, yes. Yeah. So when, when people say, I'm 110%, usually like that doesn't make sense. He, he is 110%, he is mm -hmm. basically telling you. He said he was getting TV ready, and then he takes his scarf off to reveal he nicked his neck shaving, and he's got a neck brace on. He says that a normal man would have bled out and died, but he's a warrior, and it hurt. And he was, he says this in the most sarcastic manner that I was looking forward to getting on a germ-infested plane, and then coming to wrestle in front of six, maybe seven of my closest peers, <laughs> and that I respect. And I was breathtaking to try and entertain all of you people in your hour of need. But I will be back. I'm the only company this that this company has left a candle in the darkness, dude. This promo was just. Tremendous. I, I was very like uh, I had no real uh, impression left on me from last week, which didn't really resonate. Mm -hmm. This was a, a pardon the pun, a, a dynamite promo. It was excellent, fantastic, fantastic so good. Promo. Yeah, um, but he will be on next week. 
He will be back next week. Yeah, I know. Like this to me sounded like they were just going to prolong his his absence, and then later in the show they announce he's back next week. So well, I, they I, kind of. I guess I do wonder when they might have shot this, when this might have been prepared, if it was before um, they announced everything. But you know, they can still prolong it. He can show up, and I assuming you know, they didn't advertise a match, so it's not like he'll be wrestling. Well, on this episode, I mean the the Michael Jordan uh, quote unquote drink. That we had been mentioning of where it goes up and down throughout the course of an episode. Yeah. Uh, the Michael Jordan's drink was uh, Dasha Gonzalez's outfit tonight because we were going back and forth between a blue and a like black uh, <laughs> dress that she had on uh, between matches. So it seemed like we were we were just all over the place. I mean, it just seems uh, may, maybe you give them a mulligan this week for the uh, the the time continuum being uh, thrown up because we were all over the place on this show. I think so. And I think it explains why this, I thought the quality of this show was for me better than last week. And maybe it was because they were able to cram the best parts of two, what was supposed to be two weeks into one. Uh, Musa took on Wardlow and uh, uh, Musa here. I don't know how he got, cleared because his right hand looked all bandaged up like this guy barely barely healthy here i don't know i didn't notice he had had like one of those like wraps around his hand like it was like broken or something jericho asks why musa would take this match he says i know he needs the job but he's about to do a job and musa got in a little bit of offense before he's grabbed by the throat on the turnbuckle and dropped down into wardlow's knee before he hits the uh the f infinity in 223 that thing he does in the corner into the knee was really interesting. That could be the finish. Yeah. Oh, that looked awesome. Like, it, yeah. it's as simple as holding a guy up in the turnbuckle so he doesn't fall down and then releasing him so that he lands right onto your knee. It was it was a very unique signature move. With the thumbs up, thumbs down. Mm-hmm. He's looking really good in these squashes. Yeah. Just, you know, murdering a guy. The Bubbly Bunch is back. And Jericho and Sammy Guevara both have differing views on who won the Flim Flam Challenge, but Guevara does have the hand sanitizer, and Santana and Ortiz both disagreed on who won the challenge last week between Jericho and Guevara. So Jericho has a new idea. He wants to have a Manitoba melee. And Jericho, mind you, is explaining this while he's on his exercise bike, while he's all decked out in Chris Jericho attire. Which is a new thing. Yeah. Him doing uh, menial things around the house uh, in his regular outfit. What else would he be wearing? I guess this is it. Like he puts on that jacket and probably his, sleeps his, in it. The pants. Well, that's probably the next one. Will be he'll he'll be waking up. He can't he can't mow the lawn because that's probably like a, a Matt Hardy idea. Mm. The mowing of the lawn. So someone here saw the stuntman quarantine video and we did the inner circle version mm-hmm. and it's a very popular video if you have not seen it and we this was just how many cameos can we get possible and i am not going to profess to know all these people uh i will identify the ones i, I got most know. of them okay well you fill in the blanks here because uh we go from the inner circle crew and then it's you know Peter Avalon, Jungle Boy, uh, Luther makes an appearance here. Sunny, Sunny Kiss. Kiss. Then we get Ted Irvin, well, Ted Irvine with his Rangers jersey on uh, with a hockey stick. Uh, we got uh, Gabriel Iglesias, the comedian. We got Lou Ferrigno. Lou Ferrigno with a taser. Yeah. Uh, Jason Mewes and Kevin Smith making their second appearance on Dynamite. Uh, Corey Taylor Ver- from Slipknot. 
Duff McKeegan from Guns N' Roses. Um, a Virgil. Virgil, a comedian by the name of Brad Williams. You had James Garretson from Tiger King. And then it ended. Oh, was that James? That was yeah. the guy from Tiger King. I missed him. Wow. Yeah. There's one guy I, I didn't recognize, but it ended with Vicky Guerrero. Screaming at the end. Um, screaming, are you kidding me? Instead of excuse me. So I wonder if that's a new catchphrase. Yeah, it could be. So I didn't anyway, know excuse me would have been copyrighted. Um, I don't know if you could. Copyrighted, sorry. Can you copyright that term? I'm not sure. Like that's a pretty broad uh, statement or question. Uh, and Jericho at the end confirms it was Lou Ferrigno with a taser that he asks and called this awesome. The Manitoba Melee. This was pretty fucking great. This like probably took like uh, you know a lot of a lot of effort to put together, but turned out pretty funny. I thought this yeah. was really great. And Jericho has quite the quite the Rolodex of, of connections. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's not just uh, contacting them, but also having to explain the premise and everything. And everyone did a very good job with this. Mm-hmm. Did you have a particular favorite? Um, I think Lou Ferrigno did a great job, you know, getting like, because the idea is that you get hit. So you receive the hit and then you hit somebody back. But like Lou Ferrigno was able to cover his face and then slowly reveal it before, uh, you know, essentially kind of doing his Hulk up with the taser. That was super interesting and, 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 and funny. Um, I, I think, uh, Ted Irvin always gets a big reaction. Ted was pretty good with the hockey stick. He's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, one, on a vine. Yeah. They, they got very creative with, with, uh, with some of these. Um, I will say like during this quarantine period, the amount of challenges that are online, it just, I guess people are just trying to keep busy, but there just seems to be a plethora of them at the moment. I mean, like, TikTok, TikTok is blowing up as a result of this, this whole thing. Um. Yeah, a lot of challenges. What did you Jimmy do ha- on TikTok? Um, I tried to download Flim Flam. I couldn't find it. Are you on TikTok? No, I don't know. I'm too old to get TikTok. I, I like. I think my cutoff is is Instagram. Like, I I don't have any more room for any any more social media. At some point, like, you get to a certain age, or you just have to, just have to cut yourself off. Um, and I I think I I I end there. Yeah, this is the this is like the PlayStation Two era where I was just I was not going to make that migration past uh, a certain you know level of uh, a video game equipment. It was like this is uh it's not my time anymore. Yeah, and I understand that. I I've I've got uh you started re. I mean, we had ICQ. Come on, we, we had a good run. I'm now using the Sleep Cycle app. That's that's what I'm into. <laughs> that's my that's my uh my my social media. Everybody. I can sl- I can share my sleep patterns if you'd like. I had a really good night's sleep last night. I hit seventy five percent, and I had share. a. An- this is the stuff I'm interested in. Actually, this is the challenge pu- I want to do. Okay, let me pull up my chart from last night. I'll, I'll uh, bear with me here. So last night, um, I slept for six hours and eleven minutes. I went to sleep at. <laughs> I just told Way how we want to keep these shows moving, and here we are. Uh, I went. I I went to sleep. At 1.23 a.m., and then I went into a deep, deep sleep. 2 a.m., I was like probably uh, – I looked to be a millimeter away from a coma. Um, I made a slight adjustment around 3. Then at 4.30 in the morning, I was cl- I, w- I woke up, um, but then fell back asleep by 5.11 or so, hit my deepest sleep right before 6 a.m., and then slowly started to awaken 
after that. Sounds like a nice little curve. You got it was there. it was very good. 70, 76% quality. So wow. going to see how this goes. Um, so, yeah. so the challenge right now rests at 76%. Yeah. It gives you stats as well. Okay. The average. Okay. Um, we will move on. Uh, the average sleep quality um, in Canada over the last seven days, 76% in Canada. Do you want to guess where in the world has had the highest quality of sleep over the last seven days or conversely, the lowest quality of sleep over the last seven days? Oh, these are really interesting stats. Let me try to guess. Best sleep in the world would, I would think, be... Country. Country. Okay. I'm going to guess um, just because the quality of life must be really good over there anyway. um, I'm going to guess maybe one of these uh, uh, Scandinavian countries. Uh, Denmark? No. Okay. Um, one more guess. Outside Europe. Outside Europe. Okay. I'm going to say, uh, Taiwan. It is New Zealand with 80% sleep quality over the last week. Do you want to guess the lowest? USA. No. Um, Switzerland. No, I'm sure they sleep wonderful in Switzerland. Dude, I have no... Russia. They sleep right in the middle of the bed, right down the middle. Uh, Russia, not too far off. Um, well, somewhat. 58 per- no- yeah. 58% Saudi Arabia. Oh, my God. Okay. No comments. <laughs> those, those are the stats. <laughs> Jimmy Havoc and Kip Sabian against the best friends in a no DQ, no countout match. Penelope Ford and Orange Cassidy are out in the corners, and I don't know how to describe this. This was just 13 and a half minutes of Crazy. these guys destroying one another. Uh, I think Trent took it the worst in this because this guy had a mission to um, have permanent back pain for the rest of his life in this match, and I'm sure he's well on his way to accomplishing that. And I guarantee you uh, that after this was taped, he was sleeping way worse than Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Yeah, he was, he was not getting 76% tonight, I'm sure. Not a chance. Um, Orange Cassidy got level. Um, Jimmy Havoc just took a chair and whipped it at Orange Cassidy's head and just dinged off of him. Uh, so Orange Cassidy is down. Um, some other highlights including a chair set up – or sorry, the ladder was in the corner and Trent got yanked off the turnbuckle coming down back first and to see Colt Cabana's reaction. He just like – Puts like his arms in the air and then it, it looked like he was like turning his back to like walk away like this idiot. Um, what did he just do? Uh, he then gets dropped on two sideway, sideways chairs and Kip comes off the top with a foot stomp to Trent on top of these chairs. And Chuck made the save. Yeah. Havoc then got slammed onto the legs of a chair. Sabian was hit with a pile driver, and Penelope Ford pulled Taylor down to the floor. Orange Cassidy returns with the lightest chair shot imaginable to Jimmy Havoc. Ford then misses and kicks Kip off of the apron. She then misses Cassidy and spears Kip on the floor. Um, This was just a comedy of errors by Ford. And then Orange Cassidy leaps off the turnbuckle to the floor, taking out Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford, allowing Chuck Taylor to take Jimmy Havoc with an awful waffle onto the chairs set up in the ring and pin Jimmy Havoc. 
really crazy hardcore match, especially for this sort of empty arena era. Um, you know, these guys were out there to try to <laughs> have a really entertaining match with a lot of big spots with chairs, um, taking a lot of punishment for it. And it was an entertaining match. Yeah. This made a big difference having people ringside to react to this because I watched the uh, Rebellion on Tuesday night and they did a similar match, the, the Full Metal Mayhem match with uh, Jessica Havoc and Rosemary. And, you know, they, they laid out a fine hardcore match, but it was just – I was like these hardcore matches in an empty arena might be the hardest matches to pull off. And mm-hmm. it was a totally different vibe here just based on people being – around but uh man these guys killed themselves for the duration of this match that they did yeah i'm I'm also noticing like you know especially it's been since it's been a few weeks now but like i'm having a tough time with orange cassidy in front of this audience Mm -hmm. you know like without the audience there reacting to his gimmick and his shtick it it just it just is not coming across like really nearly as as effect, I mean, obviously not as effectively, but like, I don't even know if it's good without a, an audience or like a genuine audience there. Um, I, I'm just a little surprised that I guess how much you know this sort of setting affects somebody like him. It it definitely um, like I I didn't get into his match as much last week um, because you know he so much it's it's all the reaction like that's what you know it's a joke is only as funny as the audience laughing at it and you've taken out. The, the whole objective with so much of Orange Cassidy that I, I think it's it's very difficult in these circumstances, more more than than most on the show. Mm-hmm. We go to Britt Baker's dental office and there is Rebel, her makeup artist, who is constantly referred to as Reba. And this is more like your office style um, parody with Britt Baker te- taking a Rebel Reba aside. Rebel from TNA. Yeah, Rebel from TNA, who is legit, uh, like, a makeup artist with AEW. Oh, she is. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, she works with them. So oh. this is, like, this is her her job with the company. And, yeah, she's just giving her directions that we're not supposed to be able to hear on camera about referring to me as Dr. Britt Baker. The The dental office is just full of posters uh, and pictures of Baker. And she goes to give her next lesson in being a role model. And the next rule is that not everyone can be a role model cites people wearing glasses with a photo of Tony Schiavone. Don't wear glasses unless you're a doctor. You're not smart and it's not funny. She also doesn't like fat people again, showing Tony Schiavone and starts photoshopping his belly of how to be able to hide your imperfections and then points out his snaggle tooth. And stating, don't smile. It's uncomfortable for all of us. Uh, poor, poor Tony Schiavone here. I thought it was hilarious. Like, <laughs> great, great little vignette. Just uh, as a, a perfect way to, to further the Britt Baker character. And to, like, I thought the, the, the shade against Tony was totally unexpected. And absolutely hilarious. Um, I think these weeks have really shown what great comedic ability Britt Baker has. It's it, she's off the charts when it comes to this comedy. I mean, this is I keep going back to it, but I mean, this Britt Baker just seemed to be just so um, lacking in charisma during that babyface run. And to watch this of how she has uh, come out of that that shell, um, mm-hmm. it's 
it's just uh, I, I can't state it enough when, when you watch this. She is a real highlight of the show each week. So often, I think when people are, are tasked with, you know, especially being a baby face there, it seems like it's 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 more often than not just an, a blank canvas with no real personality at all. Um, you know, maybe it's just the time that, you know, she spent on the roster thus far, but she certainly has a character and has a gimmick and has a personality right now that she's doing a great job of developing every single week. So, you know, we talk about like stars not really being able to be made in this current era, but I definitely look at somebody like Britt Baker. as almost an exception with like performances like this. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Sean Spears took on Baron Black, who Jericho said sounds like someone from a death metal band at a festival in 2009. Uh, Spears is stepping on him and does the Jericho posing pin, which Jericho enjoyed. Uh, Black got in some chops before he runs into a boot, C4, and Spears used a sharpshooter to submit him in 339. Fine, Squash. Yeah, I mean, has he used a sharpshooter before? No, I don't think so. Not here. So, maybe just a new finish? That was it, yeah. Um, not too much to discuss here. Do you... um? Like, what do you think is, is Sean Spears' role right now within AEW? Uh, I, I don't see, like, a really strong role for him. Um, I mean, look at the fact that, you know, outside of the quarterfinal match with Cody, um, he's really not been any kind of um, focus on these small, like, like smaller roster size shows even. They like, were, I, uh, they're, doing, they're in the middle of that whole tag team partner thing that they're still searching for. Um, obviously, that's been put on hold. Tolly hasn't been there. So, I, yeah, I, I really, I can't, I don't know what, what's in store for him. Yeah, I, I don't know. To me, Sean Spears is not someone that if, I, if I'm looking at, you know, all the different uh, people to be focusing on, I don't know how high he ranks on my list. I think he just kind of has a spot where he can pop up on Dynamite every now and then and be on Dark. Hmm. Technique by Taz focused on the blackout. And then we had Brody Lee taking on Marco Stunt. Jericho asked where Jim Ross is, said maybe Jim Ross is part of the Dark Order. Lee just uh, attacked Marco Stunt. He was in control. Jericho notes that Lee is not a goofy Southerner. He's an eloquent man. He hit the released German, and Marco was able to land on his feet and then just got, uh, I can't believe this man didn't have whiplash after the spinning side slam he took. And then Lee lifted him up for a tree slam but into the sit-out powerbomb and pinned him in 309. Uh, not as much uh, bumping around as you might have expected for Marco Stunt. They kind of just kept it to the the ending sequence with the, uh, the side slam and the powerbomb. But, I mean, Marco Stunt will have a job for life just being in this role. Perhaps, yeah. I mean, as long as he can take this sort of punishment, which I guess well, could be a while. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think it certainly helps that we're a few weeks separated from the Lance Archer match because this was obviously very, very diff- uh, similar. Uh, but as a result, I, I thought this was fresh and it was an entertaining squash. He made Brody Lee look excellent. We had a taped promo from John Moxley in Las Vegas. He said eight weeks ago he was celebrating with fans when he won the title, and that feels like a lifetime ago. He thanks the fans for watching. Tough times don't last forever, and we will be back together. And he's thankful for a few things. He's thankful for Jack Daniels. He's thankful for his wife. He's also thankful for the steel chair and how he beat Jake Hager. And 
for AEW being live next week. And in doing so, he is loading up his truck to come next week. And he tells everybody three things. Be nice to one another. Support local businesses by ordering takeout. And call your grandmother. Wise words, yeah. This was like a little PSA from John Moxley on how to behave during a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, even um, I, I thought, you know, hints of Dean Ambrose by the end here. Calling your grandmother? Well, it just seemed, uh, you know, this was John Moxley giving a, a sincere message and then being more uh, funny. Yeah. Funny, yes. But like funny in a like cool way, you know, not like a dorky way. I thought he could have said he's loading up his his uh his red uh wagon of toys oh, to bring God. to Jacksonville with a cowboy hat with the cowboy hat. Yeah. No, that's or he, or, or he could be uh, hitching a ride. Remember that? No, I don't. Oh, remember when, when he uh hitchhiking? he when he got to WWE headquarters and he hitchhiked. I vaguely vaguely remember yeah. that back yeah. when he was trying to climb the corporate ladder. <laughs> that's right. It begs the question though. He says that he's going to get into his truck. Do you think he's actually going to drive? From Vegas to Jacksonville, that maybe. Um, like I'm sure AEW that you getting their talent to drive if they can. I guess it's it's. I'm choice. sure they would prefer talent drive if they can, but that's you know for people that that's uh, driving distance. What is a? Uh, let's see oh, how that's long. Quite a while, but he's all. He also feels like he, the type that I, I could see doing it. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I would assume he would be. It's. Oh my god. It's 33 hours by car. Oh, Jesus. I well, it's, it's also having to stay in hotels and everything as well. So, Well, uh, maybe he's setting out tonight and he's going to make his uh, – <laughs> like, dude, that's, that's really long. That's really damn long. Um, I don't know. Um, anyway. Um, he's probably yeah. driving right now. They've got to set up whatever he's doing at the pay-per-view next week because there's no real hint of what the direction is for, for Moxley. Other right. than, unless it's MJF who did do that promo initially about wanting to go for the AEW title. And, I mean, perhaps. It's true. Yeah. Well, they have three episodes to do it. Uh, they announced next week uh, MJF is returning. Uh, we're also going to get uh, John Moxley versus Frankie Kazarian and Kenny Omega and Matt Hardy against Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara, now known as Le Sex Gods, <laughs> in a street fight. Sounds like, I mean, I, I I guess it's not a full crew, but it sounds pretty close, at, at least in terms of star power. Like, we're talking about uh, the Bucks missing right now. Well, Kazarian's there, so that would indicate that sure. yeah. some of the California guys are going to be there next week, and per- potentially uh, the Bucks would be included there. Like, mm-hmm. I, I definitely would expect the Bucks to be at the very least on the pay-per-view, um, mm-hmm. if not next week. Right, yeah. So we do have a contingent from New York and MJF and also California with Kaz. So that's, yeah, that's really interesting. No, no hint of anything with the revival tonight. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm guessing that'll be more of a BTE thing for a couple of weeks. I mean, if anything, I, th- I think you save that for double or nothing, don't you? I think they should appear at double or nothing. Even if it's not a match, I think that's where they should appear. Uh, I definitely would not blow it and do the Bucks match that quickly. Would you um, do it as a surprise at Double or Nothing, or would you announce something beforehand? I'd announce it ahead of time. Well, depending on what the match is going to be. Like, listen, they they may feel that this pay-per-view in an empty arena, they have to throw a lot against the wall. And, you know, maybe you do hot shot 
a Bucks revival and do the first match. Um, that would be a big deal. Um, I think next week we'll see. Like this to me is a pay per view that it's going to be really hard to get people to spend that amount of money for one of these shows. I think it's a totally different experience to watch one of these empty arena shows on TV and pay money for it. It's true. But, you know, they have a lot of fresh faces right now on the roster that we haven't seen in, you know, a big, uh, I mean, I hesitate to call it a big pay-per-view setting because that's, you know, there's no such thing right now, but in a pay-per-view setting, for instance, like a Matt Hardy, we haven't seen a Lance Archer, we haven't seen yet. Uh, They'll probably do the, Finals at double or nothing, right? Is that what they, they said? Did, they did announce tonight. Yeah, that would right. the finals would be at double or nothing. So we do know um, Cody and Archer. And I would assume Mad versus Jericho. I mean, that seems to be a lock, right? Given the match seems thinking. seems to be yeah, and something with Moxley. Uh, the final match of the night was Lance Archer and Dustin Rhodes in the semifinals. Um, Archer just. Pounds the hell out of him at the beginning. Uh, Brandy, as we mentioned, is out here. And, like, the announcers do point out, like, the attack on her from earlier in the night. But, I mean, she is selling none of the effects here. But the announcers were not ignoring it either. And dressed in a different outfit. Yes, brand new wardrobe. Uh, Dustin hit a senton off the apron to the floor. And then in the ring, he's able to block the power slam. uh, Archer is. But then hits the pounce. And... Archer just goes into the camera saying that Dustin's life is going to be over. And he uses a chair, and this busts up Dustin's forehead. It's time for bloody Dustin Rhodes. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I really don't know if, like, blade jobs are necessary in this environment. You know? I I can appreciate what it's, like, accidental. Like, with the, like what we saw with Britt Baker a couple weeks back, and them taking advantage of something that was you know, ultimately accidental, but like, I think I still feel like we should be at at a time, especially when all these matches were taped where we should be taking a lot more precaution. And I just, I just don't think blade jobs, um, past that threshold of, of what's necessary right now. As they went to the second commercial break, Jericho said, I think Archer should bite his nose off. And Tony just screams, no, as they go to break. I had flashbacks to Jeff Hardy here. Uh, Rhodes hit the code red. Can't go for the cover. He's struggling because of the blood loss. Hits a lariat with Jericho uh, bringing up Stan Hansen's name. And he hits the crossroads. Lance Archer kicks out at one. Rhodes then comes off the top. He's caught with a choke slam. Archer then does the rope walk on top into a moonsault. And Dustin kicks out. The blackout gets blocked. Archer hits another or goes for another choke slam. It's turned into a backslide, which was Dustin's lone near fall. And Archer then takes the turnbuckle pad off and rams Dustin's head repeatedly into the exposed turnbuckle. Uh, this was all well within the rules. I guess we were under uh, playoff rules again. I guess so, yeah. I mean, you also had the Shattered Dreams before this, so very <laughs> yep, loud. You had, you had that. So Dustin is down. He's bleeding. He's selling the effects of the turnbuckle. QT Marshall comes down, checking on him, and he's got the towel. But then Cody shows up. He stops QT from throwing in the towel, and he sends Dustin back in, and he just gets repeatedly his head smashed into the mat over and over. It's the Rocky Four ending with Dustin Rhodes playing Apollo Creed, and if he dies, he dies. And Lance Archer, Drago, kills Dustin Rhodes and pins him. 
So shouldn't he be retired? He, they did state that his career was on the line here. He was only willing to risk it because he said, like, if he loses to Kip Sabian, there's no coming right. back from losing True. to that geek. But Lance Archer, it's like, okay, I, everyone can understand that. But I, I can't lose to fucking Kip here, for Christ's sake. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I, I thought this ultimately became a really good way to build up to your final by having uh, Lance Archer, Archer beat the shit out of your brother. Um, and a final kind of like, you know, face to face here at the end between Archer and Cody, I thought made this final a lot more personal. Yeah, I, I got where they were going for. I, I think it was just coupled with the opening match. Like there was definitely a very like heelish tone to Cody and the announcers were very much playing that up too. like more so Jericho, who is playing that role that, you know, this guy was dead and he sent him in to just be destroyed by uh, Archer. Um, hmm. I, I they, they've got like three weeks to like build up like Cody. I think cutting some like really good promos of you know going for the title, avenging the loss to his brother. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't quite feel this one yet. But I got what they were going for with, with the end here to try and add something uh, more personal here, and you know doing the logical thing of Dustin as the the sacrificial lamb uh, to get to the bigger match with Archer and Cody. Hmm. Hmm. I think it's a good-looking final match. Um, one that I think is still hard to predict. You know, I can see them certainly putting the belt onto uh, Lance Archer, but I can see them putting the belt onto Cody just as much. So it's it's an intriguing matchup and a big match for both guys. Do you expect anyone like Jake or Jim Ross to be back next week? Mm, I really don't. Ho- I really hope not because it's it, it, nothing's changed. In fact, like things are worse probably now and even riskier right now than they were before. We're still, as far as I know, like in the peak of all this shit. So I, I certainly hope not. And I think if they do, we should still give them the same level of criticism that we have been. Listen, I I think that there's a, I I think there's a greater number of um, people though, that are just, I think at this point, when it comes to AEW and WWE, uh, to to any um, non- uh, follower of these companies, I think they'd be just floored at what they're doing weekly. But I don't think anyone's paying attention to, to wrestling, and I think wrestling fans are just numb to it now. That the concern to me is almost, almost non-existent. Like I just think that it's, um, like we can point this out every week over and over again. I still have like concerns about this, but it, it's almost at this point that it's you know. We've beaten this drum to such a degree that I think the audience is just watching and it's they're going to take these risks and they're going to go ahead with these shows that what what more can you really say? And when you have a government like the one in Florida that has opened their doors. Um, yeah, risk yeah. risk is is, you know, the, the really kind of subjective word, I suppose. And but, I, you know, I, I I just don't see a need for somebody like Jake to make the trek right now. I understand like. What if there was a contract signing that needed to be mod- moderated? Like like, like Jerry <laughs> yeah. Lawler. Exactly. Okay, then please. Like there's, these are extreme measures <laughs> that we need a Jerry Lawler for. So yeah. I mean, you, you gotta you gotta judge things like that. Yeah, uh, I, I I think it's still very important to be responsible. And from from all accounts, it's, I I I I think they are taking every precaution to ensure that you know it's a safe working environment and that and that they're taking as little risk necessary risk as possible uh and i would certainly knowing that you can't eliminate the risk by doing this no it's it's there like but, there's no c- complete um ability to 
uh, mitigate risk. There's still, I, I would still say uh, like a healthy amount. That's, that's the, a Absolutely. healthy amount of risk. That's a bit of an oxymoron, but, but for somebody, but for somebody like, you know, at the age of Jim Ross, it's, it's a very different game. So I, I, I hope not to see him or for his sake. Yeah, I do too. I think it should be who you're comfortable using and that who is, who is essential. Um, and and that's a loose term to use when we're talking about uh, producing a wrestling show. Uh, but we head on over to the forum and tonight's show, an eight point zero eight rating, so a favorable one. Matt from New, or sorry, Paul from New Jersey writes, uh, excellent heel promos from MJF and Doctor Britt Baker. Nice to see Sean Spears come up on the winning end for a change. The show moved quickly and had enjoyable commentary. He gives the show a seven point five. We got a Rory from Poconos, Pennsylvania. I really enjoyed tonight's Dynamite. Cody and Darby tore the house down. It was funny to see Billy Gunn save Brandy after her, jump with, after her bump with Alan. I thought the ending made Darby look a bit foolish getting pinned so easily, similar to when Austin pinned Owen at SummerSlam 97 after he hit an impactful move. The overall match ranked up there with their previous bouts, however. I really enjoyed Chris Jericho admitting his previous, previous enemies have earned his respect as he did for Alan and other former opponents tonight. Um, the bubbly bunch segment again was hilarious during these uncertain times and continuing to chuckle at the inner circles comedy, including Jericho's dogs. Uh, my main takeaway from this show was Taz's segment detailing Lance Archer's blackout, which transitioned to the segment focusing on Archer destroying Marco's stunt and then transitioning to Marco's altercation with Brody Lee leading to their match. I love when storylines blend in meaningful ways and this did just that. Nick from Lansing, an entertaining episode with a couple of fun promo segments and entertaining matches throughout. Britt Baker is one of the most entertaining and shitty heels working today. I loved her poor makeup artist silently putting up with her, and I laughed out loud when I saw her first poker head out to listen in. Moxley was also great, and I thought the match with uh, Sabin ha- uh, with Kip Sabian, Jimmy Havoc, and the best friends was an exciting standout for the night. Full credit to Dustin for taking the beating he did. The stuff at the end with the towel was very effective for me. Really solid show all around. Raymond in Sacramento. I would guess that the finish of the Cody Darby match is the most controversial thing to come out of this episode. I liked how it was almost a reversal of the tactics in the January 1st conversation, but this time, Crafty Cody used his smarts to turn a coffin drop into a pin, a unique finish that I liked. In the empty arena era, AEW has been doing a phenomenal job of mixing in tournament matches, squashes, character pieces, and comedy by Brit and the Inner Circle. I think like the idea you wanted to convey was that Cody was able to adjust himself and that Darby, I mean, you missed that coffin drop. You should be like prone for, for a pinfall. Like you have to hit that in order to, uh, in order to, uh, avoid the, the damage that you're going to inflict upon yourself. So I think that was kind of the idea, not just that he like slipped on a banana peel or anything like that with Cody. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I just thought thought it was a way to represent Cody or Darby again getting very close and getting closer and closer each time to ultimately yeah. beating Cody. It's like if he hit the move and they, they played this up on like road to like no one is kicked out of the coffin drop, but he didn't he didn't hit it. He missed it. And he it was like that's the risk reward of the coffin drop. And Cody was able to just get by through the skin of his teeth and. By Darby missing, he crashed and burned, and he was left prone for the cover. Mm-hmm. But if he had hit it, if he was like a, an inch closer and had hit it properly, he would have been the winner. 
So he's that much closer to beating Cody. So I, I did not have an issue with it. So it's back to the drawing board for Darby so that next time he can come back with a way to prevent this from happening again. But mm-hmm. then and now it's up to Cody to go one step further to make sure that he finds a, nut, a different way of beating Darby. Yeah, and, and I think you come out of this with like, um, you know, a lot to do with with Darby um, out of this. And I, I thought his performance was great in the match. Mm-hmm. Noah from Vaughn, incredible episode in my opinion. Three really awesome matches and quite possibly the best video I've ever seen. Britt Baker is continuously fantastic and so damn entertaining. The quick Wardlow and Brody Lee matches were great as well. One of the better, better empty arena shows that they've done. Nine out of ten show. Kenny says, decent show tonight that I felt was really hurt by the lack of crowd, even more than last week's, or past week's. The hardcore match especially could have been a really fun car wreck match, but it just seemed dead without the crowd. The highlight of the show for me was the bubbly bunch. Those things just keep getting better with every week. At what point do they have to worry about these segments turning the inner circle into huge baby faces? I don't think they're worried about that at all. I mean, listen, the first significant thing that they did as part of this whole group was this a little bit of the bubbly thing. Which just, I mean, if that thing, like, they sell consistently some of the most t-shirts on pro wrestling tees. So I don't think they're concerned about them being baby faces at all. Um, as long as they do heelish acts to other baby faces. As long as there are baby faces that are um, as over, if not more over than them. in you know, people like the Bucks and Kenny Omega. I think they'll be perfectly fine. He says the only real negative on the show was the finish to Cody and Darby. With all the great wrestling minds in that company, they couldn't come up with a finish that didn't make Darby look like a total idiot. It wasn't like Cody had him poked. Darby reacted as if he honestly thought he had won. Darby probably has the most potential of anyone in the company, and they made him look like a fool. Can you imagine Stone Cold Steve Austin making that kind of mistake? I mean, we kind of talked about it already. That's not a fair comparison, in my opinion. Stone Cold Steve Austin is a very different character from a Darby Allen, who I think, you know, due to his size and I think due to like his 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 style, is very much like an underdog. And to me, the, like the story is like Darby Allen is inexperienced. He's not at Cody's level, and it's like he's continually come closer and closer, but he's made mistakes. I, yeah, I, I think Steve Austin's a terrible comparison to what. Darby Allen's uh, story and character is the moment like I, I mean number one to me the match was really good so I can stand to like watch a, an entire series of these happening and if you have Darby Allen just win it it kills the series you know I recommend everybody listen to on the up next Patreon their greatest match ever talking about Masada Masawa versus Kawada and how long that shit took before Kawada finally got his win and how satisfying that must have been when he finally got his win it's that type of long play type of storyline that I feel like they're hopefully going to build to with something like Cody versus Darby Allen. And I, I really, I'm, I'm honestly a little surprised by like all the negativity towards that particular finish. I don't think it made Darby look foolish at all. What I would have hated is if Darby came off with the coffin drop and Cody selling his knee for the entire match, got the knees up and then cradled him. That would have driven me insane. Yes. Yes. That's why I was like, like, had he done the moonsault? I was like, why is he doing this? But, but he didn't. So, um, you know, you can't, you can't, uh, complain about something they actively avoided. This was like, you know, the older brother continuing to like constantly beat the younger brother at the video games, but the younger brother keeps getting better and better and better every time. So that by, by at some point the younger brother will pass the older brother. Yeah. And you know, like that victory is going to happen for, for Darby Allen and it should not be happening in an empty arena now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, anyway, uh, let's go to Doug from uh, 
the UK. This week's show was a marked improvement over the fatiguing nature of the past couple of weeks of AEW. There was a flow present which really helped with enjoyment and the matches were all very enjoyable for me in spite of some messy spots and forced hijinks in the opener and main event. It seems like something we take for granted, but I feel a need to point out how enjoyable the various video packages on this show are. After so many years of misfiring promos, awful soap opera and terrible skits, making up the majority of televised wrestling's non- wrestling content, AEW really do make it look easy to get right. Strong opening package for Cody and Darby, Britt Baker's best segment yet, a gloriously daft cameo-filled bubbly bunch, more fine healing from MJF, a defiant Marco stunt saying he can take a lot more punishment, and a five-star segment from Moxley. I was thoroughly entertained tonight. 8.5 out of 10 for me, which pushed a 9, and I feel much more enthused than I did this time last week. Finally, we got a Jay from Colorado who says, Every week I keep thinking that it's going to be the week that these empty arena shows jump the shark, and every week AEW proves me wrong. Don't get me wrong, I prefer a crowd, but AEW is truly making the best out of a bad situation. The show is still exciting despite the lack of huge crowd pop, and I don't find the absence as glaring as it is in WWE shows. I think one of the biggest reasons for this is Jericho's energy level. I really hope he goes to the commentary full-time once he retires. In such a short time, he's already become one of the best. That brings uh, about another question, John. Since Jericho's wrestling next week, who do you think takes his place? Or does he just leave for the main event? Sorry, can you just repeat that part? That Jericho. You just Jericho, since he's wrestling next week, who takes his place on commentary? Um, I would imagine that they're confident that one of the other commentators is going to be there. Then with uh, whether it be Tony, uh, if Excalibur is, is back. Right, um, that would make sense. I, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I would think at the least you would think like the fact that they're promoting Kazarian tells me that the California crew, those that are needed, uh, would be able to come in. So that would be mm-hmm. my guess. But yeah, I, I, ta- I've, yeah, I've, yeah. I've, yeah, but I think Jericho, yeah, to his point, I think I think he's been really, really entertaining in this role. And I don't worry about the um, like the potential of the inner circle getting too uh, popular because I think Jericho in this role to just flip the switch and they just do some heated angle beating down the next big baby face target. And they're right back to being uh, that heelish group because you've got everybody in this different, you've put the inner circle in this different light. And then all of a sudden you do some, some big, uh, some major angle, like very similar like the uh the festival of friendship like you take people in this one uh this one tone that you're presenting and then boom you just flip the switch and i don't think they'd have any issue doing that with jericho and the inner circle i'd rather have sort of like a a babyface ish heel group than you know a bunch of dark orders or like uh butcher and the blades you know people without any sort of personality All right, that's all the feedback tonight, so we are going to bid everyone a farewell, but we're back Thursday. We've got the Cafe Hangout coming out Thursday. We're live 3 p.m. Eastern time for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe, so if you're part of the cafe, tune in, call in. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, many different uh, topics, uh, including uh, this Look at all the television viewership during these empty arena shows and comparing uh, the different programs and how they have held up or or not so much held up uh, during this entire period. So we'll talk about that. John and- John did a great job with his update today, um, just basically analyzing all the all the ratings of this current empty arena era. So I encourage everybody to read that from um, Wednesday's update before listening to the hangout. 
Yeah. And if you have any thoughts as well, we uh, we welcome them uh, to call in or Skype in on Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, quick look ahead. Friday, we've got the British Wrestling Experience with uh, Martin, Jamesy, and Benno. They're going to be chatting all the latest uh, Brit Res news as well as uh, Riptide Wrestling's latest show. They'll provide a review of that. Friday night, we've got Rewind to SmackDown on the cafe reviewing SmackDown and the Dr. D, David Schultz episode of Dark Side of the Ring, which I promise we will review this Friday night on Rewind to SmackDown. And then into the weekend, we've got uh, Post Pro Res with myself and WH Park. That will be dropping on Sunday, uh, discussing all the latest in the world of Japanese wrestling. So we've, that is uh, it. We've got up next right now uh, with Braden and Scrump. Unfortunately, David couldn't make it due to personal reasons, so we send him our best. And also on the Patreon feed, we've got the latest edition of Rewind Away, Talking about Saturday night's main event, a really fun show to go back and, and, and talk about. So that's all up on our Patreon. If I'm looking for a brand new T-shirt with a iconic figure, uh, where could I go and check out such a shirt? Store.postwrestling.com. And if you're referring to the iconic figure um, as the subject of Nate Milton's Rocky Maivia picture show. That's uh, the I- iconic figure. That would be the place to go to. We're not saying this is Rocky Maivia. It just might be somebody who looks like him. Um, I don't know. But anyway, it's a very popular shirt. Wonderful shirt designed by Robert Pearson, who actually got uh, mentioned on on, uh, ESPN with uh, uh, Daniel Cormier and Nero Hawani this week. Yeah, he designed the logo for them. Look at this guy just getting out uh, out and around uh, with his... uh, with his artistic skills. Uh, but go check it out. Uh, support the one and only Nate Milton. Store.postwrestling.com. And we'll speak with you Thursday, 3 o'clock for the Cafe Hangout.